Hi, friends. My name is Landon Wietrich. My co-host is Braden Knobloch, and this is Inquire Inside. I truly believe every person listening to this episode right now has experienced some form of anxiety in their life, and many have experienced the challenges that arise in marriage. Today, you'll get to hear the first part of a conversation Braden and I had with Scott Wegman, who is a pastoral counselor for Grace Christian Counseling. Scott does marriage and family counseling and does individual counseling with those struggling with anxiety and depression. Among the many topics in this episode, we discuss why our current society struggles so much with anxiety, how the access to so much information can be detrimental, how culture affects how we look at ourselves, and a few practices that can help overcome anxiety. I want to thank you for joining us as we inquire inside today, and we're going to jump right into the conversation. Like what degrees you have and and kind of, like you said, Braden, how you came to where you are today with what you do for a living. Okay. Well... I'll try not to give too many details because I think this could take a long time. <laughs> but so I have a, I got a bachelor's degree in soil science, right? Just the kind of traditional way, uh, four years after I was out of high school. And I worked in that field, uh, moved to the Chicago area. Don and I got married, actually finished up a master's in geology. Uh, when our second son was just a baby. And then um, a big uh, thing that really affected me quite a bit in terms of who I am and priorities and things like that was in 2000, I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And it was um, kind of thing where the doctor called me up and he says, um, you got the res- biopsy results back, it's cancer, you can call me with any questions. And I <laughs> I think that'll be trained better than that. That was uh, that was an earth-shaking quest- or statement that he made to me. And um, so I was 35 at the time. You guys, probably neither one of you quite that old yet. Not quite. Um, so you maybe understand that we're pretty well, guys are bulletproof at that point. We don't really think about dying. Yeah. And all I knew about di- uh, cancer, really, is very little that I knew about cancer, but um, family, extended family member, her mom had been diagnosed one week and died the next, and they'd given her three to six months to live. And so mm. I'm thinking, you know, is that what that means for me? And our kids were, our oldest kids were uh, four, two, and Kristen was a baby then. And so I'm thinking, you know, am I never going to see them again? Am I going to, am I going to see them grow up? And that really changed a lot of, I was kind of on the corporate ladder trying to head up and that really derailed that. Um, I just saw that there were a lot of other things more important than just how much money I make and the title behind my name. And that, so I, it kind of slowed me down that way. But anyway, I ended up um, obviously I didn't die. So I'm here. Uh, it turned out doctor friend told me the kind of cancer I'm going to get, if you're going to get one, that's what you get. So I, I really, today there are are really no effects necessarily that I even have from it, but that was significant. But, um, then moved here in 2001 and was, uh, started working for a consulting company here in Quincy, and uh, that turned out, well, we'd been praying for an opportunity to get closer to one set of family or the other, and so this would have been one of the options, and this was the one that opened up. So what happened was I got here for a job that looked pretty good, and then it started not looking so good. And the longer that we went, the worse it got, and that was 01 to 05 was kind of a period of a lot of stress for me but um what i kind of what pushed me or the 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 purpose of that i mean i I felt like i could see god's hand in all this it just sometimes it's not till later um so got to the point in 2004 where i'm thinking maybe i'm going to get fired and i don't know what to do we've got five kids by this point i'm the breadwinner so what is going to happen and so the decision was we we listed out several things that we could potentially do and we didn't really want to leave the area if we didn't have to but that would have been one of the options another option was to start a soil testing business which wasn't like an arbitrary thing i'd already been doing it um i was actually doing it for the company i was working for and they um 
but they're an engineering company and so their pricing structure didn't really work with it wasn't very competitive so i went to my boss and i proposed that i would just do that part-time and still work for him part-time and he was okay with that so did that for like another year and then we had this experience where we went to um well it was another it was a god thing it was prayer Um, we prayed together as a family for a family ministry And a few months after that, got a call from Marion County Family Services, and they wanted to place a child in our home. And that was a, a miracle from my perspective because I didn't know we weren't foster parents. We oh, I was just going to ask you weren't at the time. No, no, and yeah, that was pretty much out of the blue. So how did they um, know about you? Well, it turns out if you are related to the child, that they can do a temporary placement, and that was the case. And and the. So the child was my wife's adopted sister's child. So she, and she had some health problems and she knew she wasn't going to live to be real old. And so she had already said that the child would go to us if she died. But this was something totally different. So anyway, you know, here we were like, okay, we asked for a family ministry. Now we have one. Yeah. And and though the but the other thing that kind of brings me to this telling the story brings me to where um i am where i am now is that then about a year after that um there was it was more to it than this but basically the biological parents sued family services saying that they had wrongfully taken this child out of their home and so my wife dawn was going to have to go to court and potentially testify uh as, as a character witness against her sister. So wow. we went to family court in our little rural county in Missouri. And um, you go there and they said, we were fourth in line. So you just get there at one o'clock and you wait. And that's what we did. And I saw stuff that day that just blew my mind. I had no idea how bad it was. And I left there that day and I was, I, I don't, I don't want to make it more than it is, but I felt like it was kind of like a, almost like a vision. I had just this image in my mind and it was like an image of like you'd see in one of the old world war two movies. So there's, you know, a battlefield and the bullets are flying and the bombs are dropping and all that. And, um, there's another group of soldiers though, too. And they're off behind a wall someplace and they're on dress inspection. And it was like the Lord was saying to me, are you going to, stay on dress inspection or are you going to get in the fight? And they said, well, I'll get in the fight. What were some of the things that you saw that day? The thing that probably stands out the most is there was a family, turns out we even, my wife especially knew they were, and they, um, the dad had gotten involved in drugs and the mom, maybe two, I'm not really clear about that part, but they were, they were just reviewing the charges that were against the mom in front of the judge. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget that the judge. So the judge asked the mom and there's these six kids, her six kids all standing there with her. And she, the judge says to this lady, she says, now he says, no, you you are convicted of preparing methamphetamine in your house while your children are there present with you. Yes, Your Honor. You were convicted of allowing your boyfriend to sexually molest your children while you were with him in the house. Yes, Your Honor. That was the stuff. I just was blown away. I mean, I I, I had no idea. My whole life up to this point, you know, I'm a good family, and (laughs) I work in a a science-type, field so i don't see people that are that sounds kind of harsh but emotionally um, unstable yeah dysfunctional as much usually and so all this was just kind of eye-opening to me and so i as i thought and prayed about that day in court i thought i thought you know that the reason that all of this that i saw was happening first of all it was sin and i can't do anything about sin but it was also about marriages and families falling apart. And I thought maybe I could do something about that. So through a lot of prayer and a lot of um, asking other people for advice, uh, ended up deciding to go back and get a master's degree in counseling. So maybe I could do some counseling and work with people like, you know, families to keep families together so that people don't get to this point in the first place. So that's what 
got me started. So this, so I, I started a not-for-profit then based on that after I finally got the degree, which took several years because by that time I was probably, I don't know, maybe 45-ish, and I was the breadwinner, and we had six kids. And it was quite the adventure, and there were there were some times. There was definitely one time, um, which was, uh, I, I would definitely say, a... a crisis moment for me. I, I was struggling with, I, I'd been working for this consulting company, the place I'd worked for in Chicago, and and they had come back to me after we lived here and, and wanted to offer me a job again. And so I had worked for them for a while. And it, it was really, that had been, I mean, that was providential because they paid me enough that I could work part-time and still go to school. But that kind of went away and then I was trying to figure out how I was going to support the people that I already have responsibility for and still finish this stuff up. And we got to the point where we cashed in the last certificate of deposit that we had, and that was all the money. And I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. And, um, yeah, I didn't really have a plan after that point, was not sure what was going to go on and went to, this get together and happened to sit across the table from somebody that asked me how I was doing. I'd known this person for a long time and they, I said, well, I'll tell you. And so I told them what was going on and they actually, um, started, they donated money Mm. was basically what they did. And it was a lot. And it, so for apostolic Christians, you know, we're not the whole idea of doing ministry and getting paid for it is kind of not the norm. So I, I've had to work through that. But I'm, mm-hmm. it is true that, I mean, I, we needed the money. We couldn't do it without. And I felt like that was God. God just opened that door, and that was the beginning. And then there were some other people that came alongside and helped after that. And then I got the degree, and so then we started the second the the not-for-profit and um, so that's now what I do I do both I I work about half time for the counseling agency and I also work about half time doing soil stuff and and you're a pastor as well well yeah (laughs) so if if it's all right just for for the listeners I wanted to provide that context when did you get put in the ministry in 2005 okay so actually that and the child being put in our home happened within two or three months of each other. So people wow. would say, you know, is it a big deal to go into the ministry? And I'm like, it's a big deal to get another kid is yeah. what it is. That was probably a lot more actually. And, and plus just, go to school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was, that but, was hard too. But as you mentioned, Scott, you know, just, uh, with the, the, the faith that we're, we're a part of, we don't pay our pastors. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, that, that's, a. That's not a, that's not an income source for no. you. That's that's no, time that's, and effort on your part. Yeah, um, that's, that's your. It's a labor of love. Yes, I do labor, like to course, do it. I'm not complaining about that. But yes, you you do have to when you just look at what the family uh, consumes. You know, yeah. you you have to generate enough money to provide to to meet those needs. And so for a long time, I mean, we lived very frugally. Mm-hmm. We still live pretty frugally, but. Um, that's one of the skills that I've kind of had to work on is because right now the counseling organization is me. And, um, so I have to do some fundraising and, uh, yeah. So it's, it's another, it's a growth area. I have to push myself into that. It's not really something I like to do. I shouldn't say really, I dislike doing it quite a bit actually, but it's good for me. It's another area of growth. Now, when we talk about counseling, um, you've already mentioned marriage, but there's you do various types of counseling, right? It's not just not just marriage. Correct. I I try to go really stay really in three areas. I do marriage counseling, marriage and, and family, um, mostly just marriage actually, and then um, I've helped. I've worked with quite a few people with anxiety, also some depression. Um, I think that's really the main things that I do, and and. Anxiety and depression are actually, anxiety is, I think, the most diagnosed mental illness in the U.S. right now. So, you know, that's, I can, I don't have to specialize a whole lot, and yeah. there's a lot of people out there with that need. Scott, why do you think that is in 2022, and 
a country like the United States of America, with all its abundance, why are we suffering from so much anxiety? Well, part of it's cell phones. That's okay. just, it, it is, there is research out there from what I understand that demonstrates that the fact that you can access that much information and probably having something to do with just having our face on a screen as much as we do, it, it, they know that it, it has some negative effects on sleep. So probably those are some of the reasons. I would guess another reason is we're a lot more sedentary than we used to be, and we aren't outside as much as we used to be. I mean, both of those things are are parts of what make us more mentally healthy if we're physically active and if we're outside, we have sunlight. So those are a few of the things. Um, actually, also, I would think that the amount of information that's available to us sometimes can be kind of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And um, also, we just there's a lot of stuff we know now that we didn't used to know. You know, <laughs> all the things that could are dangers and could kill us potentially, and things like that that have been around for all all of human history. We just maybe didn't get bombarded by the facts as much as we do now. Might be another thought. Do you think? I mean, do you think that? I mean, anxiety is not real. I mean, it's not new. No. I mean, it's been around for a long time. We've mm-hmm. just fi- we finally had the luxury to be able to address it, right? That's a good point. Um, yes, although when somebody has a severe case of anxiety, it is debilitating. Right. So it's not like, I mean, I see what you're saying. I, I definitely would agree with that. Just to make clear that it's not like, well, everything else is so good that now anxiety kind of rises to the top because some people's anxiety levels can be severe. Right. Right. And I should maybe reiterate that, but I think, or I don't think I'm asking that, um, you know, I look at the, I mean, you read the stories if you were born in say 1900, early 1900s and, and you were say born in 1950, you've experienced world war Mm one, the great depression, world war two. I mean, uh, even born in the United States, you've yeah. experienced all those things, right? So it's like, man, it seems like there was ever a time for depression and anxiety to run completely rampant. It would have been then. Yeah. And and maybe it was. It just, when there's world wars going on, and like, hey, man, you got to get out of bed. Yeah. Or like, I, I don't know like how they process that. I can tell, like I look at my grandparents, um, which on my dad's side are neither around anymore but i look at i listen to my dad's siblings uh tell stories of back when they were on the farm and you know their sister had cancer and their dad was in an accident and you know Mm -hmm. things like that and i just think oh man that would that would crush people today you know and so i try and figure out like this balance of like most certainly addressing these things like depression and anxiety they are a very very serious thing uh, and I'm not taking it lightly, mm-hmm. but I also look at how tough some of our grandparents or forefathers were. And it's like, whoa. Well, and and you bring up a really good point. I think it's part of what is going on is that we maybe evaluate ourselves. We do evaluate ourselves by the people around us. And at a time, like you said, in the early 1900s, before antibiotics were around, there probably wasn't a, you know, most families, I should say, have lost a child or two. And yeah, living through the depression, my grandparents did that too. Um, Two different world wars, of course. So it, it, can give perspective that maybe we don't have. I I would agree. I think that's a good point where we have really not experienced huge amounts of loss in some circumstances. And so it's maybe a little harder for us to deal with the loss when it does come. That might be part of it also. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder from Landon, if you'll mind me asking. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I wonder, um, you know, I, I, I try and put myself in those situations to where you just had to be okay with the norm in World War II where, or, or the Great Depression where people were literally walking around looking for bread during government and handouts. You have a choice. Right, and, and you had to look on your kid. You had to look at your kid differently knowing that you don't know how you're going to provide for them. Or you had to look at your, you know, your 
I don't know what your loved one and just say, listen, I love you, but there's nothing I can do. Like, and, and so I wonder if sometimes that affected the level of intimacy that they were able to have, um, with their children because they know that they're not going to be able to provide, or they know that, you know, you've got three kids say, and you lost one in childbirth and another one was, was, you know, killed in a, in bailing hay accident or Mm -hmm. something. Right. And you look at your one child that you have left and like you put up these safeguards, you put up these emotional barriers that you won't allow yourself to go, uh, to a certain depth of love because you know what happened in the first two circumstances. Because Mm. if you allow that and you lose your last child or you lose another child or you lose a spouse, um, that's going to, I mean, crush you to the point to where you could potentially lose your faith. You could potentially lose hope. You Mm -hmm. could lose everything, right? I don't know if that played a role. I I would like to think it, it didn't, but I look at the little bit of hurt that I've experienced or witnessed and it's like i can most certainly put myself in those circumstances where i don't allow myself to go certain places because if you're dead tomorrow yeah it would hurt uh, too bad it would hurt too bad mm-hmm. or you know i don't know I'm, I'm asking well i think you make a good point i i'm reading i'm listening to a book that your dad recommended actually landon um right now it's called <clears throat> team of enemies it's about Oh, with Abraham Lincoln. Abraham team Lincoln's of team of rivals. Yeah. That's right. Um, about Abraham Lincoln's cabinet. Yeah. And uh, they're, I'm, they're still just doing biographies on his competitors for the Republican nomination for president, who all were more likely to get in than him. But every single one of them, the, the biographer just said that when I listened to it yesterday, every single one of them experienced significant loss in their lives. It was either pretty much all the parents were dead, probably by their 40s. At least some of them had children that had died. It was different in those days. And I, I wonder, I don't know that either. I'm just totally theorizing. But I wonder if the just the expectation yeah. is a part of it. Because when, you know, what, what you're talking about in the teens, in the 20s, into the 30s, was new but it wasn't i mean there were there were things they'd had depressions before kind of bad ones if i understand it Mm -hmm. right um people had been very poor before in the u.s and with the lack of antibiotics lots of people died um they talked about i mean they were all of these men who were going to be potential candidates for the republican nomination when when lincoln was put in every single one of them significant kinds of loss so Mm. I wonder if some of it just has to do with what we expect. We know it's going in. We know it going in. And so it doesn't maybe astonish us or or shake us to that extent because, you know, you could go two houses over and they lost a couple children too. And your grand or your uncle and your aunt, you know, they had a child die and and your cousins on the other side, their parents died when they were nine or ten. You know, that's the kind of thing that, that was very common. So, uh, yes. And, and just thinking about it, how does that make it better? Right. I don't know. Right. But I suspect that the expectation has something to do with that. And we have all grown up at a time when a lot of those hurts have been minimized and not, yeah. not, or uh, they don't, they don't affect as many people anymore. Yeah. yeah. So it, when it does happen, it and throws it, us. And I find it difficult and I witness in not my life only, but others lives too. You try and find that balance, um, of like, um, not having too high of expectations, but also trying to have enough expectation to where you don't completely diminish the hope or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I feel like, uh, yeah, that's where I believe sometimes faith can get really a bad, um, well, maybe just miscommunicated or misunderstood, right? Like, um, what are you placing your faith in? Or if you just had enough faith, this would happen. Or if you Mm -hmm. just, you know, believed, right. Or, 
scripture can be taken out of context to uh, sometimes place a false hope in something, right? And mm-hmm. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know for sure, but I just feel like, yeah, I don't feel like anxiety and and depression is new, but I'm also curious how they dealt with it to that level back then. I I, I don't know. And I do think that there, well, I already said, some of the conditions that we live in now probably exacerbate it. Lots of information that didn't used to be available probably makes it worth as well, worse as well. And, and, and then there is apparently, I think, just a comfort in the fact that if your uncle had it and your cousin had it and the people next door had it and the kids that you, if you are, you know, able to even go to school, the kids that you're in school with, several of them are missing parents and things like that. It's, it's more normalized and therefore maybe a little less traumatic. So if you don't mind talking a little bit about what, what exercises or experiences, um, you know, how do you treat your, your, your clients or, or your students, um, and I mean, if someone's coming in, they're struggling deeply with anxiety or depression to the point to where it's hard for them to get out of bed and they just, uh, just lack hope. They lack what? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm definitely not against pointing them to a psychologist that could, psychiatrist, let's get those terms confused, psychiatrist that can prescribe medicine. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, it, I don't know if the science really even understands it totally, but there seems to be kind of a chicken and egg sort of relationship with destructive thought patterns and brain chemistry. And I don't really understand that very well, but I do know, I know people that are on psych medication and that can be helpful. Then another thing, um, if, if you're really dealing with a specific kind of anxiety, there are um, some good resources out there that people can work through on dealing with, um, because anxiety is, is really about fear, and fear makes people avoid the things they are afraid of, which makes the fear worse, and that's a really destructive cycle. So um, one of the resources I've used with some folks is uh, it's, it's basically a workbook that they work through with the idea that they're actually trying to confront some of those fears in a, in a graduated way. So, you know, if you're if you have a phobia of snakes or something um you know i wouldn't be saying okay so go go right. get in the snake pit you know you don't right. do that but you'd you'd start with maybe something that's snake like and getting used to that so that's one thing i've used um i guess that i've used that with one person i think about it but um another resource a good from a christian perspective a biblical perspective is something it's a book written a number of years ago called um learning to tell yourself the truth learning to tell myself the truth one of those two, I can't remember off the top of my head. You remember who wrote it? His name is Bacchus, B-A-C-K-U-S. Okay. And uh, that's a really good resource. Hmm. He just deals with a lot of the kind of destructive thought patterns that bring us to a place where we get anxious. This this somewhat piggybacks off of what we were talking about earlier as far as why there's more anxiety today. But along the lines of what you just said there scott do you think do you think people are more in their heads or in their thoughts more today than they used to because there's less let me make sure i say this correctly but like they're people aren't like working with their hands as much anymore they don't have to work you know 12 18 hour days like they did back in the days and so you have more time to scroll and to ponder and to fantasize and I feel like while there's 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 always value in pondering and considering, but there's kind of a double-edged sword because it can also take you down those dark paths of, of thoughts, like you were saying, and to mm-hmm. the point where you're 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 lying to yourself and um, like maybe not creating um, <clears throat> creating fear. That that's probably not the right way to say it, but um, kind of going down rabbit holes of just just really really dark thoughts. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think there's something to be said for just, uh, 
I guess that all comes down to maybe what kind of you occupy your mind with and how you spend your time, mm-hmm. really. It, that's a good point. You, I guess one of the thoughts I would have on that is that you, depending, <laughs> you go back 100 years and they worked all the time, but for at least some of the people, maybe a, a good proportion of the people, their work may have been kind of mindless. Mm. You know, if you're if you're farming... There's going to be days when you're going to be clearing a, you know, clearing a pasture for your cattle. And that means you cut down trees. So I've cut down trees before. There's, there's a little bit of thinking too. It depends on how big they are if you don't want them to land on you. But, you know, there's a lot of parts where it's just like, that's just hard work. And that's pretty much all it is. Um, So would people have an opportunity then to think, you know, destructive thoughts? I I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. I'm... But I, I see what you're saying that if we, I, I would say probably there, I mean, I'm just theorizing about this. Sure. I, my sure. thought there would be that it's probably our access to all kinds of information and via phone, via, via computer, internet stuff. And, you know, some of it can be good, some of it's indifferent and some of it's bad and those kind of things would be i would suspect at least part of the reason why people are more more prone to that now because back in the day if you were out there plowing your fields like you said they wouldn't have had access to the news of all the terrible things happening in the world or all the different you know the terrible things that are happening to people or, or experiences people are having and oh, they world, wouldn't be thinking about those things exactly Whereas, their world was so small yeah. back in those days i actually yeah. they, they were talking about that book we we're just i was listening to uh, they, they were talking about how exceptional lincoln was in his efforts that he made to find books to read and how living on the frontier it was almost impossible so to have read a book period one book was exceptional and to read multiple books would be very exceptional. So the average person probably not getting much information at all. And your your world was much smaller because there, you know, even if there was information from Europe or from Africa or places like that, it was probably weeks old by the time it would get there. And so things are very different now. And 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 I probably i think that probably a part of it is that this just bombardment all the time yeah. all this information and and some of it pretty negative and some of it seeming very hopeless and so people can get discouraged i think sometimes like the clearing the trees example sometimes we uh we forget the importance of action although that guy was clearing the tree he was still moving and the bad thoughts are the you know hopeless thoughts right um, he was still moving, and at the end of the day, he sits down at the supper table or he goes in uh, to get ready for bed. It's like he still accomplished something. I think some of the mm-hmm. traps we get caught into today or society gets caught into today is like they'll spend hours scrolling on their phone and accomplish absolutely nothing, and you can almost melt to the point to where picking up a pair of shoes and putting them in the closet seems overwhelming mm-hmm. to people that are scrolling all day long and have had that much activity. But absolutely no physical exertion at all no contribution right no contribution right and and you know i i listened to uh oh i was listening to a podcast a little bit about how they've actually um had to be careful with how realize without without real some of these vr sets are getting because um and again I, i don't know the science behind this but basically it's like you were living in a new reality, but you actually, you know, physically weren't in the reality, almost to the point to where people were dying. Mm. Um, and uh, so, obviously, there's going to be regulations and things on that. But um, very, I, and again, I, I'm doing the same thing you are. And I'm just thinking about these things, but it seems like, hey, at least they were moving, working, and accomplishing something. Today, you get, you know. 50,000 thoughts over the course of eight hours and of those eight hours you were sitting behind a desk scrolling or you were sitting on your couch scrolling to me there's a big big difference there and and I feel like that in my own personal life too it's like yeah I can take on a lot of bad content or bad information but as if I'm hitting deadlines and progressing they seem to be not be that big of a deal 
the difference yeah. that you're saying would be like the I'd say the big one is probably you're saying that what you do if you're on the farm homesteading taking care of your cows is there is a direct connection with the work you did and your survival and your success so you see that like i did some good today yep and yeah if you spend all day scrolling on your phone don't think you get that right i need to be careful how i say this but from my perspective my perspective is limited but i feel like we can get by with with less effort nowadays i feel like there's, there's less consequences for not being productive right and um and i don't i don't mean to put down anybody but what we're saying is is there's it will only help help you if you are contributing if you are investing of your time and your effort you know i struggled might be a, a, a strong word to use because I've, I've I've been very blessed and but at the same time I, I struggled a little bit with uh, some depression earlier earlier in life and um, what really helped me was when I started uh, getting into the gym started working mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. and to, to to make the point that you were saying earlier that was huge for me because you know there and there's there's like you know um, biological reasons for all this like there's the endorphins like when you sweat and all that kind of stuff too but but the psychological benefits but just like when i could actually see some results of from the effort that i was putting in what you mentioned earlier like the effort that you're putting in it's actually contributing to your survival and your well-being that's that's tremendously beneficial and we don't i feel like people are doing that less and less nowadays and um it doesn't take much to to get a paycheck and you can I, I don't know, and I, I don't want to run down that too far because I might be speaking about things I don't know very much about, but that's just kind of my perception, and that's why I, I will work out to my dying day for as long as I can, um, and, and I, I encourage other people to because of those benefits you mentioned getting out like in, in the sun, like 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 the brightness. People struggle with like depression and stuff that live in those darker you know, parts of the different countries, like in Iceland and stuff where it's overcast and cloudy all the time. Um, there's... There's reasons for that. You 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 get outside. You need to move. You need to, to exert some energy. And then, like we talked about, con- contributing. Think of how much um, you're going to feel more valuable, more of a sense of self self worth if you can tr- witness what you are able to contribute. If you did not exert this effort, you would not have this thing that's now before you. Whether it's a field that you just plowed so beautifully. Or you know, it's it's a painting that you made, or or, or or something that you baked, you know, something you cooked or baked. You know, there's there's so much value that can be gained from contributing, not only to others, what you can give to others, but then what it does for you and your your mental state. That's mm-hmm. that's what I found found out when I struggled with with depression was was when I laid on the couch all day and I listened to the radio and just flipped through catalogs all the time. That I there was a period of my uh, mid teen years where that's all I did. I didn't really have much of a social life cause I was homeschooled mm. and, uh, yeah, I didn't even like to go out of the house. Yeah. Like, you know, what 15 year old doesn't like to go out of the house. And that I, I was up in my room all the time by, by choice. There was probably some anxiety there because I felt I was very self-conscious and insecure. And, but there's so many factors that went into that. When I, when I actually got out of the house and started doing things, it just, I, I I just can't say enough how beneficial that was for me. So you had to confront the fear and work your way through it, and you get to the point where you're happy with the things that you've done, mm-hmm. and that's yeah, self esteem is dramatically different. Yes, and that kind of got rid of the depression. <clears throat> yes, one hundred percent. Okay, as you said, it came down to that self esteem. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I felt very, or I thought very little of of myself. Because again, I didn't see the fruit of, I wasn't really laboring. I didn't really have fruits to look upon as the result of my labor. One other thing that, now I'm just totally spitballing here, but that I, I wonder about this is, well, I know that I, I've, I've heard, read about um, research that shows that we are affected by what people around us think. 
they, they think actually not even necessarily what's verbalized, but what's the thinking that happens of other people has an impact. There was some Gottman research. Uh, he's a guy that they did. A, I've done a ton of marriage research, and I, I heard some, him say something about that a while back. But so it does kind of make me wonder what the values of the culture do for us. In other words, what's highly prized by the culture and you know if we fit well into that value system or whether we don't if that makes sense to you it's like you know is it yeah is it something where because i mean there are to me it seems and i'm definitely not somebody that really spends a ton of time on the internet if i'm not doing something kind of productive so but i i my kids do enough that I, I see things that, you know, there's these people that TikTokers, so they actually make money making videos <laughs> that are dumb, yeah. it looks like yep. to me. Um, and so, yeah, okay, so you could maybe make a living doing that. And so maybe that would be okay for you psychologically because enough other people think that it's valuable and you're getting paid. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of wondering about that. But I would also wonder if for some of those people, there would be some of what you were just saying, kind of the doubt, you know, is it really doing anything for anything? Or is this just worthless things that people are dumb enough to pay me to do? Right. Scott, you'd you'd say it really comes down to your beliefs. Like, do you believe that what you do is actually adding value exactly is it of value mm-hmm. yeah and and that's really easy to make that decision when you're abraham lincoln's father homesteading in indiana you know because pretty much if you don't get the field cleared so the crops can go in you'll starve to death so it's a pretty good motivator really and then once you do it you've kind of you've you've made your way over a pretty big hill and so you can feel good about that too now it's just interesting though how all that fits in with how other people do there was something i i I read a while back um they were talking about how that well you've probably heard some of these things they talk about there are happier and less happy countries in the world and Mm -hmm. people do these surveys and find out and so like some of the like sweden and norway or some of the supposedly the happier ones but what they found is that incidences of suicide if i'm remembering this right incidences of suicide tend to be higher in the happy countries than they are in some of the less happy countries because you're going back to what you're talking about culture well it's culture and it's what you compare yourself with so if you're a sad guy in a country where everybody else is happy you're sadder than a sad guy in countries where not everybody's so happy and so that's yeah that's maybe that is probably a cultural thing where it's like you are taking cues from the people around you. The society but is, I mean, also I would question is like, well, the the countries that are happy is like, you know, there's a lot of, I think, people out there that would say happiness isn't the goal. Happiness isn't the aim. Purpose mm-hmm. is, right? Or, you know, yeah, I don't know. But I think uh, like what you're saying, Scott, is it goal comes down to that expectation. If right. I should be if everybody else around me is happy, well, I mean, not so much the expectation, but also just the, the feeling of being a part. If everybody around me is happy and I'm not, I feel like an outsider. Definitely. And that alone is mm-hmm. going to be depressing. Yes. So it's, those are interesting questions. I don't think I have a full answer on any of them, but it's... <laughs> we're, I mean, we're, we're, here, we're here for the discussion. Yeah, right. I, I'm, right. I'm loving this. What's yeah. You got? Well, on the you know, on the anxiety or, or depression side, is there, I felt like one thing that speaks volumes in my life is just controlling, controlling the things you can control and doing mm-hmm. extremely well at the things that you can control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes down. I mean, again, this, you know, some people probably laugh, but to me it goes down to the very basics. It's like, is my house clean? Is my bed made? Are my clothes put away? You know, is my vehicle clean? Is my, you know, is the garden weeded? Is my landscaping nice? Like, okay, right? And then obviously that's, and then you you branch out from there and start, okay, in my business, have I returned all my phone calls? What do my responses and my emails look like? You know, 
that kind of stuff, controlling the things that you can control. And at least in my experience, um, anxiety uh, for sure seems to diminish when it's like, no, I am going to be intentional on the things that I can't control. Um, Certainly. I agree. It's you control what you can. It helps you feel better about your, actually your environment. That was a really good point to make. It, it makes a difference. So I would agree that that's a good idea. Scott, have you heard of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear? I have listened to it a couple times. Okay. Very good. Really liked it. So in the first part of the book, he talks about how him creating those systems of, of, of habits gave him a sense of control of his environment uh-huh. and just how much confidence that, that gave him. And I've found that to be true in my own life. You know, if, if, if I, if, if my environment, if I truly feel like the results of my environment are due to the effort that I have put in, you know, that gives me so much, so much confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for multiple reasons, it, it just takes the, not only do you feel like you are contributing, so therefore you feel like you have value, but it, it takes away that uncertainty. If you if you feel like you're under control, it takes away that that fear, that yeah. uncertainty, and mm-hmm. just makes you feel um, just just more more stable, and you actually um, have an impact on your outcome. Yeah, you're not like a feather in the wind, and you're just kind of yeah. going wherever. Yeah, that it's a, the purposeful life is comforting in a lot of ways because there is we still have to be realistic that there's plenty of things that are beyond our control but we're controlling what we can and i think that's great sometimes what gets me a little bit is the perspective of um knowing that you are in control right but the days that are difficult and knowing that the outcome of that day is really dependent on how you choose to go about it, right? Like for you, it would be working out. If you get to the gym and you're like wiped and tired and sore or whatever, and you know good and well the outcome of your day is dependent on the execution of that workout, right? And that's just the start. Once you get done with that, you know good and well based off of what you're feeling right there, you're going to have to make the choice to put your hands to the plow the rest away, you know, through the day. And, and at least in my experience, if I do that for three or four hours, then the rest of the day unfolds awesomely. But there still comes a point um, to where it's a big burden because you know it's all riding on your choices. And it's just like, what happens if I don't want to do it today? I, you know, like, you know, it's not fair. I don't want to do all this today. But so- it's like... That's a, that's a great point because I've had discussions with somebody that definitely is dealing with some anxiety and they would say to me, cause I'm some, I've exercised most of my life and I really, and, and they would say, oh, I hate to do it. And, and I think, well, because of the results, I like to do it. I, I guess. So I have a kind of hard time even really knowing how to process that because I understand Okay, so maybe no, it actually doesn't. Even, it doesn't bother me to be sweaty. It doesn't bother me to breathe hard. So why why I don't I have a hard time understanding why someone would see that as as a huge barrier. But obviously, people do. People mm-hmm. see that as like, oh, that's no, that'll be difficult, and I don't want to do it because it wouldn't be fun. And and you know, I'm I'm like, no, I you know, I could keep listing all of the positives for right. why right. we do that. So. Do you you use that? Do you ever have days, obviously, at least me, when I, maybe I, I, well, actually, I was going to say maybe when I stay up too late or things like that, but I'm honestly somewhat disciplined in our um, habits. But there's still, even when you carry out all the habits like James Clear would talk about, there's still some days where it's just tougher than normal, right? And I, you know, one thing that's coming to my mind is, my office. It's like, I have like this love hate relationship with my office to where it's like, I just hate going there because I know what's all going to be expected of you once Mm. you get there. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, the stresses of it, but it's like, you also have some of your greatest, um, breakthroughs in that office. Right. I don't know. These are just things that Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing. Right. And it's like driving to work and it's just like, you know good and well you're the variable 
of whether or not you're going to go sit in that office and accomplish this list today or not. And what happens, you know, you can get away. You can, like Landon said, I, you can most certainly get away with accomplishing nothing for a few days. Mm-hmm. But you can't mentally. It, yeah. I, boy, I, I don't feel like I have a good answer to that because I it, my perspective, my I only have my perspective on that. And my perspective is that to do, because I'm self-employed too. So the reward is the work. Yeah. It's, it's good. Well, it brings in money, which people other than me are depending on. Yep. And it's rewarding to I'm, have something done. You know? Yeah. No, most certainly. Mm-hmm. And I would say I err actually much more to a fault on that side. And that would probably be, if we're done on the anxiety and depression, I would probably start to lean towards you know, the family, the children. I was children, just going to say the same thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. getting into that environment now, especially when you start to feel uh, not necessarily success, but you're feeling, you know, the mm. Lord has called you to this in an accomplishment in that it can become, I don't want to say addictive, but it can become extremely rewarding to the point to where now all of a sudden what Scott wanted to do, he wants to continue in that. Yeah. Well, and, and you bring up a really good point because I think that's a, problem that men will tend to have in maybe in marriage probably even more in family because the rewards that we get from work are tangible the rewards we get from work are easily defined you know you get a paycheck or if you're on commission the more you work the more you get and then you can go in and probably like i said probably more with the kids even than with your wife you can feel like you put forth effort with kids and it may just, I mean, it may be like, a, I invested all this and got nothing. I got less than nothing. You know, it felt bad or there was an emotional drain. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, those kinds of things. And so, you know, we make this evaluation and say, well, so I'm getting, I get all of this when I work and I don't get hardly anything when I do that. So which one will I choose? Hmm. I think I'll work some more. So, you know, it's it's pretty easy to do that, to make that decision, and that's a really, um, it's a tough thing to work through. It can happen that way with husbands and wives, too, especially if things aren't going real well to begin with. It gets a lot easier to just stay at work because, there again, I get rewards at work. I go home, and we're clashing or whatever, and so that is, it, it's a strong temptation to go that route just because it feels better. All right, you'll have to forgive me for breaking this episode right when we begin to transition into the marriage and family portion of the conversation, but we'll have that for you next time, and it will be worth the wait. Please give us a follow on Instagram if you have not already. You can find us there, at Inquire Inside. There we'll be sharing information about the latest episodes and content we're bringing to the show. That is all we have for you today, but we will be back next week. Thank you all for tuning in today, and we'll catch you next time.